Heavenly Father, glory to your name, and I pray as the song was sung that we would allow you to come in to our hearts, not only into our hearts and our personal lives, but Lord, let us be willing to let you touch our relationships. Bring healing, Lord. Restoration, forgiveness, bring your sweet spirit into this place, we pray. And teach us and show us what your will is, that we might be in harmony with you and reap the benefits of the happiness that you have promised. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning is part two to Growing Relationships God's Way. We're talking about trust and integrity. And you can't talk about relationships or really know how to have a true relationship without studying Jesus. It is God's relationship with us that teaches us how to have proper relationships with one another. And by practicing proper relationships with one another, we learn how to love God more. And Jesus was a perfect example of it. In fact, there was no one who had better relationships than Jesus. And still people found reasons to hate Him, didn't they? But Jesus had a way of drawing people to Himself. What was it? What was it that caused Jesus to draw, or what was it that allowed Jesus to draw people to Himself? We think maybe it was His miracles. I mean, after all, if you went around healing diseases, people would come to you too, right? But that wasn't it. Maybe it was His words. In John chapter 7 and verse 46... The Pharisees sent officers to arrest Jesus and the officers came back without him and they said, why don't you have him with you? And the officers answered, read it with me, never man spake like this man. Perhaps it was Jesus' words that drew people to him. I mean, he just had the right words at the right time. He knew how to speak to people's hearts. But again... It wasn't the words of Jesus alone that had power. Jesus' words did have power. They did have influence. And when Jesus spoke with His words, He demanded attention from His audience. His words convicted the heart. Truth pierced the soul. But it was not the words alone that gave power and influence and conviction when Jesus spoke. The spirit of prophecy shares with us the true root of what drew people to Jesus and the source and power and influence of His words. You'll find it in a little book, one of my favorite, called Help in Daily Living, page 7. If you've never read this book, it's a couple dollars at the Adventist Book Center. I'll buy it for you. Uh, This book will change your life. It will change your relationships and how you live in this world. 
pick it up and read it, uh, you'll be a different person. Help in Daily Living, page 7, it says, The officers who were sent to Jesus came back with the report that never man spoke as he spoke. But, she says, the reason for this was that what? Never man lived as he lived. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy. For love, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth, it is our own character and experience that determine our influence upon others. Let that sink in. It's not the flowers you buy. It's not the gifts you give. It's not the time you spend. It's not the effort alone that you put in that makes the relationship flourish. At the root of all of these things, if you want a marriage that works, you have to be different. It is, it is who you are, not just your words, that brings influence into your relationships. Who you are. Who you are as a person. Down deep inside. We're good at putting on facades, aren't we? Faking it. What do they say? Fake it till you... Fake it till you make it. Right? But eventually, the veil drops. Eventually, right? Eventually, the veil drops. Eventually, the person who you've committed your life to is going to know who you are. And that, my friends, is what really matters in every relationship. Whether you're a friend, a brother, a sister, a daughter, husband or wife, Whoever it is, it's who you are. The secret secret which brought power and influence to every relationship Jesus had, whether it was the relationship He carried with the multitude who are here today and gone tomorrow, or the deeper relationship He carried with His disciples who walked with Him for more than three years, it was the life He lived. Right here is the secret to success in relationships with others. But you know what? We want a quick fix. We want quick solutions. So we do things like buy her flowers, take him out to dinner. We try and say the right words which we think will win them. But all this only produces shallow relationships because relationships, as revealed in the life of Jesus, are built on the foundation of who you are, not primarily what you say or do. Help in Daily Living again says... There is an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words in the quiet, consistent life of a pure, true Christian. Now, underline this, highlight it, circle it in red, and don't forget it. What a man is has more influence than what he says. 
write it on a piece of paper, put it on your refrigerator and look at it every day. What a man or woman is has far more influence than what he or she says. What is true about our relationship with others is more true in our relationship between husbands and wives. Your life more than your words will determine the quality of your marriage. And all the things in your life that will produce a deep relationship, of all of those things, the two most important things are trust and integrity. What are the two words? Trust and integrity. Before we continue, we need to define what trust and integrity mean. Trust is the ability for someone to count on or believe your words and actions. They can count on it. They know it's going to happen. They can count on what you say. They can count on what you do. To believe that I can count on what you say as being factual or true and to believe that I can count on your consistent positive behavior. Trust. The people in your life who you love the most should be able to say, I trust what John or Susie or Henry says. And they should be able to say, I trust some action that John or Susie or Henry, or you insert your name, does. That he will be on time. That she will get the job done. That dinner will be ready at. That although he or she is out late tonight, that he or she is faithful and that there is a good reason, and I'll hear about it later. Trust. The ability to count on another person. Trust brings stability to a relationship. I don't have to worry or second guess your words or actions. Trust says, I can count on you. So what produces trust? Now we come to the second word, and that is a life of integrity. What is a life of integrity? Integrity is living your life by a, by a set of principles and morals that engender trust. In other words, integrity is what gives people the reason to trust you. For instance, if you live by the principle, I will always tell the truth, a life of integrity will tell the truth even when it means negative consequences may come for my life. You will fess up to your mistakes and errors rather than cover up your wrongs. As a result, those around you notice that you consistently tell the truth, even when it hurts, even when it's not convenient or advantageous to yourself. They notice your life of integrity. Integrity, living by principles. And the result is that they begin counting on you telling the truth. Trust is built. That trust increases influence and closeness in your relationship because the relationship is perceived and experienced as stable. Do you see how a life of integrity produces trust? We live it, we just don't often think through it. Another way someone might live with integrity is by living by the principle of I will be on time. How many like me have struggled with time? Have you struggled with time? That's hard. I, I remember 
the first time I got a verbal slap in the face, I had set up an appointment to meet somebody at a particular time. It was 3.30 in the afternoon. We knew the place, we agreed upon the time, and I showed up half hour late. And I had a good enough friend to look me in the face and say, you will never do that to me again. My time is valuable. If you ever do that to me again, I will never meet you at another place uh, at the time you set. Why? Because I can't trust you. And I realized really quick, he's right. I need to change. And so I began working towards the principle here. I will be on time. Now what does that do when somebody is on time? How do you feel when you set up an appointment and someone makes the appointment on time? How do you feel? You feel good. You feel like you can trust them. Man, this is somebody who I can count on. They said they'd be here at 1.30 and look, it's 1.29 and they're just pulling in. Living by principle. This is how we live a life of integrity. As people see that you're consistently on time, trust is built and people realize, hey, we can count on you. Principles don't change. Feelings do. If you live a life based on feelings, no one will ever be able to count on your actions or words because today I feel like being on time, but tomorrow I feel like canceling at the last minute. It's convenient to tell the truth today, but tomorrow my feelings of shame cause me to lie and cover up my mistakes. If you want to live by integrity, you can't live by feelings. Help in daily living puts it this way. She says... How often? Always act from principle. What if I don't feel like it? You still have a choice. What if I don't feel like loving? You still have a choice to love. What if I don't feel like being patient? You still have a choice to be patient. What if I feel too ashamed to tell the truth? You still have a principle written in God's Word that says you shall not bear false witness. You and I always have a choice to live by principle or feeling. And if you live by feeling, you will break the relationships of trust in your life. People around you, your friends, your family, and the most important person next to you who shares life's journey with you will learn not to trust you if you live by feeling. But if you consistently live by principle, people will notice and they'll put their trust in you, which will build a closer relationship. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to trust people and what it means to trust people too much. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. She says, always act from principle, never from impulse. Temper the natural impetuosity of your nature with meekness and gentleness. That which at first seems difficult by constant repetition grows easy until right thoughts and actions become habitual. If you've never lived by principle, it will be tough at first. Really tough. But keep pressing forward. It will become a holy habit. If we 
if we will we, if we may turn away from all that is cheap and inferior and rise to a high standard, we may be respected by men and beloved of God. Oh, if we will, we may turn away from all that is cheap and inferior. So do you see what produces a trustworthy life and an untrustworthy life? Living a life of integrity based on God's principles, not my changing feelings. And this is what lays at the root of all our relationships, friendships, marriages, even our employment. Every relationship we've had currently have or will have is based on the foundation of these two life qualities, trust and integrity. Now, where do I get the principles and morals I need to live a life of integrity? They're all laid out in God's Word. And that's why you need daily devotions. Because if you're not in God's Word each day, how are you going to know the principles that you should take into your life that are going to produce great relationships with those around you. Think of this. The principle of always telling the truth that's found in the Bible. Exodus 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. The principle of being on time. That's found in Matthew 5, 37. He says, let your communication, communication be yea and yea, nay, nay. For whatever is more than this cometh of the evil. So let your yes be yes. Yes, I'll meet you at 1.30. Or... If you can't make it at 1.30, call ahead and say, you know what, I need to change. I'm not able to make it at 1.30, but I can make it at 2. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's a principle. You live by this principle, God will bless you with relationships of trust. Another one, principles of faithfulness to my spouse. That's found in the Bible. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Principles of seeking for forgiveness and granting mercy. That's a principle that is in the Bible as well. It says, therefore, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. What about the principle of revo- resolving issues the same day? And this is a principle that every marriage would do well to bring in to your relationship. Don't let the day go by with, without resolving that day's problems. Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your what? Upon your wrath. How many marriages practice this? Anyone here in the church practice? If you have an issue... You don't let the sun go down until you guys have worked it out. There's a blessing in it, right? You know what happens? If you let a sore alone, it festers. The other day, we uh, had our neighbor's dog come trompsing down the hill onto our porch. And we knew he was there because of the awful smell that was wafting in through the windows. So we went out there and we said, man, you smell bad. Go home. (laughs) And he didn't listen. He laid down. I said, what's what's wrong, pups? And we looked at him and his whole backside was inflamed 
He evidently had a sore that had been untreated for a long time. And you looked a little closer, and there were little worms eating away at the dead part of the dog's backside. I thought, how does this happen? I went online, found out you can spray some hydrogen peroxide there in the affected area that will kill the maggots. They'll drop, drop off and try and help the dog. But it was too late. The dog left our porch, walked down the hill, and nobody's seen him since. Why? I began reading more online about, you know, what causes this problem with dogs. And they say, as an owner of a pet, you need to check your pet for cuts or scrapes or those sorts of things because a scrape left uncared for, unwashed or cared for, could become infected and that infection could cause, lead to rotting rotting parts of your body which will create flies, which will create laying of eggs, which will create maggots, which will end in death. And you know what's there in the physical world happens in our relationships as well. If you put off the issues and shove them down the road, they don't go anywhere. They just grow bigger. So you've got to be bold enough to face them. Have the initiative to sit down and talk about them and have the courage to set boundaries and work through those issues together. And the best time to work through an issue is before you fall asleep. There have been times that I've been up working out issues with different individuals till the wee hours of the morning, but let me tell you, had those issues not been worked out, those issues would be ten times bigger. There's a principle. And this principle is one that I, the Lord gives to us. Do not let the sun go down on your what? On your wrath. How many are going to take that principle and apply it in your life? Praise the Lord. And that doesn't just apply to marriages. Friendships as well. Deal with it as soon as possible because that's the smallest that that issue is going to be. So they're all there. If you want to live a life of integrity, you find the principles to live a life of integrity written there in God's Word. And by the way, you can't just know these principles. If you're going to live a life of integrity, you must commit yourself to them. And you must seek for God's help daily to live to live them and demonstrate these principles in your life. There has to be a commitment to them in your life. And this is why a Christian marriage where both husband and wife are seeking God has the best chance for success. Number one, because we learn the very principles that will benefit our relationships as we spend time with God reading and studying His Word in our daily devotions. And number two, because each person is seeking and receiving from God through prayer and faith the only power that can help us live lives of integrity and produce trust. So do you want to have a better relationship with others? Commit to discovering and adopting the principles of God's Word into your life and then ask and place your faith in Jesus to help you live these principles out in your life. Philippians 4.13, Jesus gives us this promise, says, 
I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And that is living life, a life of integrity. Now, why should we care about trust and integrity? Well, as we've gone through, every single relationship is based on trust and integrity. Every one. Whether it's a relationship with your son and daughter or a relationship with your husband or wife. Number two, our reputation is based on trust and integrity. And as Scripture says, it's more valuable than gold. Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And number three, success in this life and the life to come is rooted in relationships. You can't run away from them. I know some people who have been so hurt by relationships, they say, I will never love again. I'll never have relationships again. I will never interact with people again. I just can't trust them. But the truth is that there is more misery without relationships than there is with. You need them. They've done studies. And they've found that those who live the longest have good relationships. It's not just your good diet that's going to make you live a long time. You can eat carrots your entire life and still die early. You believe that? But relationships can produce uh, health benefits in your life. They're essential. Essential to living longer. Listen to the parable that Jesus told to teach the value of building relationships. In Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, to beg I am ashamed, I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore, which is eighty. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And then Jesus gets to the point, and I say unto you, Make yourselves Friends. Make yourself what? Friends. That's relationships with others around you of the common mammon of unrighteousness. In other words, if you have to, this guy even used money to make friends. That when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. 
What lesson was Jesus teaching here? Well, you have a man who was accused of not being a very good steward. He was accused of being wasteful and he was about to be fired, but when he realized, when he realized it, the unjust steward did something which Jesus commended. And what was it that Jesus commended? This man realized that his future success was dependent on the relationships he formed. And so he invested into these relationships all that he had and he decreased their bills. The lesson is that if relationships are important for the unrighteous, how much more should the righteous invest in relationships here and now? To invest in living a life of integrity so you can build trust in all your relationships is critical to your success on earth and will play a role in whether or not you gain heaven at last. In Christ Object Lessons, page 332, she says, A character formed according to the divine likeness is the only treasure that we can take from this world to the next. Where do you learn to build a character or form a character in the context of relationships. This is where you learn to build a character for eternity. Here's another one. Christ Object Lessons, page 353. She says, success is not the result of what? Chance or what? Or destiny. It is the outworking of God's own providence the reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and persevering effort. Now, how does one build trust and relationship? Yes, we must live a principled life of integrity, but give me some nuts and bolts, Pastor. Well, trust is earned and demonstrated. Life will give you opportunities, many, many, many opportunities to both earn and demonstrate trust. Jesus reveals this in the parable of the talents. You remember the parable? It's right there in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven, as is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And I always thought to myself, well, at least he saved it. Like he could have spent it on something, but he didn't get commendation for saving it. He needed to invest with it. He needed to work with it. He needed to use it. He couldn't just bury it. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. He grew. And because he grew... Because he could be trusted with those five talents, what did his Lord say unto him? 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been, what's that word? Faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then comes the one with two. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent into the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. I want to pause right there. This man who hid the one talent, he was not willing to take a risk. Trust requires that we're willing to risk. Relationships require that we're willing to take a risk. If for fear of failure we do nothing, we will not receive a praise from the Lord at the end of time. God has not given us talents so that we can sit on them. He's given us talents so that we can grow. You as a Christian... And you and your relationship, God desires it to grow. And, it, and he, can, he only desires what is possible. So if God desires your relationship to grow, can it grow? Absolutely. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawn. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want you to look here at this story. Think for a minute. Everyone was given a talent. I mean, some had the capacity for one talent. Some had the capacity for two. Some the capacity of five. And each one was judged on whether or not they used what they were given. Right? Another way of putting it is each one demonstrated whether they could be trusted with more. How did they demonstrate whether they could be trusted with more? You tell me. How did they demonstrate that they could be trusted with more? Go ahead. They demonstrated they were trustworthy with the little. Isn't that right? And that's how it works in life, in every relationship. If you want to build trust, you must demonstrate that you're trustworthy in the little things. And by demonstrating you're trustworthy in the little things, you are entrusted with greater things. 
This is how it works in our relationship with the Lord. It's how it works in our relationship with friends. It's how it works in our relationship with our spouse. It's how it works in our relationship with our boss. If you can prove yourself faithful in the little things, you will be granted or entrusted greater things. I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord for that. You know, there was a neighbor I once had, and he said, Brother. Actually, I don't think he called me brother. I think he called me pastor man. Pastor man, he said, I want to know, why are there so many people who are poor, and why are there some who are rich? Why doesn't God just make everything equal? I said, well... I can't speak for you, but I do know that there are some people, if God made them rich, it would be to their damnation because they cannot be trusted with that amount and that God gives us what we can handle and that if we prove ourselves faithful in the little things, more will be given. And that's the truth. It's right here in the matter of the little things that the battles for trust in your relationship are either won or lost. In a marriage, every time you consistently show up on time, you consistently refuse to insult, argue, yell, or berate, but instead choose to encourage, affirm, support, and listen, you are building trust. The little difficult moments when you choose to admit your mistakes and take the blame rather than lie or twist the truth, you're building trust. Demonstrating in the little areas where you are. When you're sitting by the lake with your spouse and some attractive person wearing little walks by and you choose in that little moment to just turn your head and focus on your spouse and refuse to be led down the path of looking at temptation, you're building trust. It may be small, it may be little, but those little things build trust. And guess what? Those little things set you up to fight and conquer and gain the victory in greater challenges. When you are consistently honest with the little things, when you have to be honest with something that's really painful, you've set yourself up for success. Focus on the little things. Let those be the areas where you gain the victory. If you can be trusted here, and if you win the battle here, and if you gain the victory here with the little things, then you will be entrusted with greater things. Christ Object Lessons, page 356, she says, Only by faithfulness in the little things can the soul be trained to act with fidelity under large responsibilities. God brought Daniel and his fellows into connection with the great men of Babylon, that these heathen men might become acquainted with the principles of true religion. In the midst of a nation of idolaters, Daniel was to represent the character of God. How did he become? How did he become? How did he become fitted for a position of so great trust and honor? Go ahead, you can read it with me. It was his faithfulness 
in the little things that gave complexion to his whole life. Don't dismiss what I'm saying. It may seem small, but that's where, that's where it's at, my friends. He honored God in the smallest duties, and the Lord cooperated with him. Okay, so we've covered that each one of us has a responsibility to live a life of integrity and earn the trust of those we love, but what about giving trust? Do we have an obligation as Christians to trust others? How can a wife submit to her husband as the Lord instructs without trust? 1 Peter 3 verse 1. How can children obey their parents without some level of trust? Ephesians 6, verse 1. How can a husband care for his wife as his own body without some level of trust? Ephesians 5, 28. How can the church appoint deacons and elders and commission pastors to preach the gospel Week after week, without some level of trust. How can you work for a company and remain there in that company without some level of trust? Every relationship requires that we risk trusting, that we extend trust. Every relationship does. You see, there's an unwritten law that says if we're going to have any level of relationship, whether it be friends or neighbors, a spouse, a parent, or another, that relationship must have some level of trust. You put some level of trust in the gas attendant who pumps your gas, don't you? How many of you hand your credit card to that perfect stranger at the gas pump? Well, if you're in Oregon, that's all of us, right? How could you give a perfect stranger your credit card? Would you do that in a grocery store? Would you walk up to somebody in the aisle and hand them your credit card and say, hey, can you buy this for me? No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. But you do that at the gas station. Why? Because you've entered into a relationship. Granted, it's a very, very, very shallow, basic one. It's, I give you my credit card and trust that you're going to use it wisely and you give me gas. It's a transaction of trust. But some level of trust is there. Every relationship has to have some level of trust in order for it to be there. You need to trust. Even God is willing to trust us. God trust us erring mortals. Listen to this. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11. Paul says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my what? Trust. And God calls you ambassadors for the kingdom. He trusts you with the gospel. Relationships require that you offer trust. And as a Christian, it requires that you offer others trust. Now, does trust have limits? Absolutely. Uh, Jesus chose to, uh, 
chose to put unlimited confidence and trust in only one, his heavenly Father. In John chapter 2, verse 24, it says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. So there needs to be limits on our trust. Oftentimes, when we look at trust, we look at all or nothing, right? I either trust you or I don't, but there are levels of trust. I can trust you with this, but I may not be able to trust you with this. And God has that relationship with us, and we can have that relationship with others. The good news is that you can move up a level. Uh, You can gain and earn more trust. Although trust is needed in every relationship, there are limits to trust. We must trust, but trust must be earned and demonstrated. And the only one who can receive our absolute trust is God. For instance, we cannot believe that our spouse will never let us down. They may. We must realize that friends can fall, falter, and not always be there for us. We must offer a level of trust, but we must never believe that failure is beyond the capacity of those we love. After all, God said to Abel in John chapter, or Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus reminds us in John 15, verse 5, that He is the vine and we are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Without Christ, our spouse is guaranteed to let us down. We cannot live our life with the expectation of perfection in our relationships, this is where grace and forgiveness and mercy come into play. And when we talk about trust and integrity, we have to talk about grace and mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because at some point, The people you love will let you down. What do you do in those instances? You say, well, that person's untrustworthy. I'm going to cut it off. That's how some people live. But you'll never have deep, deep and meaningful relationships And you'll never learn to love like God loves if you don't offer mercy and grace and forgiveness. Broken relationships are just a part of our life here on earth, isn't it? And we've got to balance that expecting and looking and striving for trust and integrity with grace and mercy and forgiveness. God Himself offers trust to humanity, but not absolute trust. In Psalms 103, verse 14, the Lord says, For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. 
he cannot deny himself. So, friends, what if trust has been broken in your relationship? How do you regain trust? When trust is broken, it can take a very long time to regain. Just going to have to accept it. It's a long road. Especially if the trust that was offered was personal and private. But there is always a path towards restoration if both are willing. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, the Lord sets the standard by saying, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Did God offer a path for you to regain trust with Him? He sure did. And I'm glad, friends. This verse here is one of the only reasons I'm a Christian today. I thought that I was beyond the path of... the beyond reconciliation. I thought that I had committed the unpardonable sin and I was headed to damnation. Something inside my head said, maybe, maybe you've missed something, Michael. You better read the Bible just to check. I started a months-long Bible study. I mean, I read every day with one sole purpose to see if God would accept somebody like me. And as I read through Scripture, I ran across this verse. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, yep, that's me, they shall be as white as snow. What? There is a way to reverse this? There is a way to restore, to rebuild, to to start over, to to heal. There's there's life after a fall. Like there's there's another way? Yes, there is. And God shows us what we doubted existed, that there is a way to restore trust. That there is healing. There is reconciliation. There is a new life in Christ. Praise God. Praise God or our relationships would be doomed. Praise God or our eternity would be doomed. Friends, I don't know where you are in your path with the Lord or in your path with one another, but there is a path to a restored relationship. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take a willingness to come as you are to the Lord and take on the principles which He has given in His Word There's a path. It was God choosing to love us that prompted Him to open up a path towards forgiveness and reconciliation. If you are in a relationship where trust has been broken, know that there is a difficult path towards restored trust. If no path existed, then there would have been no path toward restored trust with God. So what does that path look like? Number one, confession. You've got to admit where you went wrong. Number two, repentance. Doesn't matter what what the relationship is, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friendship relationship, confession and repentance must come. A demonstration that you're turning your back on the old life, 
on the old behaviors that destroyed the relationship. Number three, there must be a demonstration of righteousness. The person in order to trust you needs to be able to see that you're trustworthy. Number four, there needs to be a verbal commitment. A commitment to the relationship, to the friendship, to the marriage. Number five, there needs to be accountability. And nobody's better to hold you accountable than the one who you offended in the first place. And lastly, this is the person who was wronged. The last thing that needs to happen is a willingness to forgive on the part of the one who was wronged. And if those steps come into line, by God's grace, the relationship can be restored. Listen. Forgiveness is giving people a path towards rebuilding trust. Unforgiveness denies the other person that path. Do you see? No matter what they do to demonstrate trustworthiness, they are never given trust again. This is what forgiveness means. It says, okay, you've hurt me. You've done me wrong. I'm struggling right now. But I'm willing to open up a path for trust to be restored. And here's that path. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says... Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So our relationships... The model for our relationships is Christ's relationship with us. What He was willing to do with us. Somebody says, what about boundaries, Pastor? I don't want to be let down again. And I want you to know boundaries are appropriate, especially when trust is broken. But don't let boundaries become what you hide behind so that you never have to face forgiveness. Forgiveness is something each one of us must face through the Lord's strength. It is a Christian duty to forgive. That does not mean that the relationship is going to necessarily be fully restored. The other person has to be willing to walk the hard path of reconciliation, of regaining and rebuilding trust. It may take years. But there's a path. There is a path. And by God's grace, you and I can walk down that path and find hope and wholeness. Forgiveness is painful, but it is right. The Bible sets before us the example of God who Himself chose to forgive, offer mercy, and trust again that we might have a relationship that will never end. So my appeal today, 
Today, God is calling you to live a life of integrity and trust. Will you walk that path yourself and open that path for your spouse, your friend, and maybe it's your enemy just now? Will you say, Lord, help me to forgive and learn to trust as you do? I'm going to give you an opportunity to bow your head right now and make that commitment to the Lord. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we've come back to the difficult way. The Bible says, broad is the path, but narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to eternal life, and we've come there just now, where we have to choose to trust and forgive as you offered a path to regain trust for us and offered to forgive us. Lord, help us. Human weakness is strong. And many here may find it difficult or near impossible in their own human power to do what you are calling them to do. Lord, I pray for your grace to fill our hearts. I pray for a mercy which we do not have. I pray for forgiveness which can only come from you. I pray for a heart that loves because we've experienced the love of God for us, the forgiveness of God in our own life. I pray that each person here today who has come and has broken relationships in their own life would find help from you today and strength from you today. Lead, Lord. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Save our marriages. Save our friends. Save our family units. Bring hope and wholeness, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.